Today, today what I want to talk about is probably one of the biggest questions of life. In fact, I will say it like this. It may not be the biggest question right now, but there will be a time, there will be a moment in your life, or maybe I should say toward the end of, at the end of your life, the question is going to be, what does it take to get right with God? What does it take to be right with God. How does that happen? Now listen, if you were to ask that question at work, at school, or wherever you find yourself, I'm gonna guarantee you, I would guarantee you that you're gonna get all sorts of answers coming back at you. you you'll have to admit, I, I believe you have to admit that no matter what you would believe, whatever your spiritual background is, and you may not even have a spiritual background, I don't know, you, you may not even have a spiritual background, but these days that we're living in is a very, listen, is a, is a very spiritually pluralistic society. The days that we're living in is a very spiritually pluralistic society. In other words, in other words, our society, our world, um, uh, uh, what our world does is that we look at, at the reality of, of everybody counts. We're all in this together. There's no one that is greater than another. No matter what we believe, no matter where we are, we all have these thoughts that, that uh, uh, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. They say, our society, our world says that uh, all religions, all religions in this world are essentially are just the same. And of course, there are also those people who are out there in our world, maybe even in here today, who would say things like this, I don't, don't you dare try to push your religion down my throat. Don't you dare try to come to me and talk about your religion and your God because honestly, I'm just not interested. Now, the interesting thing to me as a pastor, I've been doing this for 30, just about 38 years now, but I've been doing this for a long time, that as soon as someone dies, as soon as someone dies, a lot of people, a lot of people before then don't really think a whole lot about God. A lot of people don't even care if there's God or eternal life. But as soon as someone dies, <laughs> as soon as someone dies, everyone begins to think about God. Everyone begins to talk about God and religion, no matter who they are. And we tend to think that we are indestructible. And then one day we realize that we're not indestructible. And as soon as someone dies, almost everyone, especially those who don't believe or say they don't believe, uh, almost everyone starts to have a feel-good theology. It doesn't matter how they were raised. It doesn't matter what they say. So whoever it is in their life that passes, that dies, they would be saying things like this. We are just so thankful that she's not suffering any longer. Or they would say, he's in a better place. Or they would say, now he's an angel in heaven. She's an angel in heaven. Or they would say something like this. Grandma, grandma is in a better place looking down on us 24-7. Grandma is, looking, is, is in a better place looking down on us 24-7. Let me say that one more time. Grandma is in a better place and she's looking down on us 24-7. I love your grandma, I really do. And I love my grandmas. But I'm not too comfortable with my grandma looking down on me 24-7 for the rest of my life. I don't know if I agree with that statement. So the question is, how is it that we're made right with God? How is it that we're made right with God? It's no secret to most of us, many of you who attend Word of Life, of course, know this very well. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that I am a follower of Jesus. It's no secret. I am a follower of Jesus, and I've been doing this for 48 years of my life. On July 5th, 1971, I gave my life to Jesus. I was, my whole life was changed. He began to change me from the inside out, and he's still doing a great work in me. I still need a lot of changes. 
Rather interesting to me uh, that in the world today, you can talk about spiritual things all day long and it's not that controversial. You can even say things like God, or you can say higher power, or you can say higher being, or you can even say the word spirituality. And it's really not that controversial. But you bring up the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, whether it's on TV, at work, wherever you may be, all of a sudden, it's really controversial. And yet, hardly anybody debates the, the existence of Jesus. And almost nobody, no rational person is going to be saying there's no such historical figure by the name of Jesus. No one in their right mind says that any longer. They used to, but they don't, they don't say it ever very often anyhow. And people generally accept someone who was named Jesus who lived on this planet. They normally do accept that fact, historical fact. But also, what's also interesting to me is that most people don't really dislike the teachings of Jesus. They don't really, um, they don't really dislike his teachings. They've heard Jesus' teachings on helping the poor. They've heard Jesus' teaching on feeding the hungry or loving those who are overlooked and forgiving others. So when it comes down to it, they don't really debate the teaching of Jesus. They don't, don't debate the existence of Jesus. So what is it that gets all these people wigged out about Jesus? What is it? The answer is this. It's the exclusive claim of Jesus that he is the only way. That's what gets them. The songs that we sang today was all about that, what Jesus has done for us. That's what wigs people out. Now remember, we live in a very, we live in a, in a very inclusive world. All beliefs should be treated equally. Nobody, nobody should be left out. All roads lead to God. But contrary to the popular opinion, Jesus diametrically opposes that mindset when he says that he is the only way. There's going to be projections behind me. There's going to be scriptures behind me. If you don't have a, a smartphone or following along with us, everything will be here with us so that you can follow along. Go with me to John chapter 14, verse 16. John 14. This is the exact words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says here in John chapter 16, verse 14. Excuse me, John chapter 14, verse 6. Got those numbers backwards. Jesus answered and he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in this very inclusive world of religious pluralism, Jesus makes an exclusive claim that he is the only way. Jesus says he is the only way. He is the only way. And yet there are still a lot of people out there, a lot of people out there who still say that um, that all roads lead to God. All religions are the exact same. In our, um, it, it, and I want you to know, it's okay to recognize that there may, be, um, there may be some really good things in different religions that are out there in our world. But we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge that there are, are not, uh, they are not anywhere close to being the same. Now, this isn't in your notes. You're not gonna see this in your notes at all, but let me just share these thoughts with you very, very quickly, less than two minutes. Very quickly, I want to give you a quick order overview that all major world religions are not the same. Buddhist. The Buddhists believe that there is no God, no type of a final existence. They believe in countless rebirths. Hinduism. Hinduism. They will believe in a God, but he's an impersonable, personal God. 
that is only approached through deities, statues, and idols. If you were to combine those two different religions together, Buddhism and Hinduism offers no forgiveness of sin, offers no supernatural help. They only can offer you karma. And I think you know what karma is. Karma is you cut me off on the road and someone else is going to eventually cut you off the road like you just did with me. Contrast all of that with Muslims. A Muslim worships a personal God by the name of Allah. Muslims have no secondary gods. They are, there is a total ban against any idols. And your standing with God is based on your own religious good works and efforts. And then you combine that with the New Age movement, which says there is no God. The New Age says there is no God. Your goal with the New Age is that you would become one of the universe, one with the universe or with the cosmos. And then if you contrast that one last time, if you would contrast that with someone who is a Jesus follower, who believes in the personal God, who, who loves his people so much that he would become like them in the person of Jesus, who was born of a virgin, who would live without sin, who died for the sins of the world on a cross and rose again and he made people right with God. Not, by be, not through idols, not through deities, but he makes people right with God by faith, by faith in God's Son and in Jesus alone. So can we not acknowledge that all religions are absolutely, completely not the same? What Jesus does and what all the other religions do are completely different. They're not the same. I don't care what society says. They're not the same. And here's what I want to do today. I think that this is going to be really simple for all of us. I'm going to ask everybody in this room today for this next four and a half hours that I'm going to be preaching. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm asking everybody, no matter what your background is, would you simply consider Jesus today? Would you consider, would you consider Jesus today? What I am not asking you to do, I am not asking you to consider Word of Life Church. I want to make it very clear to you. I'm not asking you to consider Word of Life Church. I'm not asking you to consider our denomination. I'm not asking you to consider other Christians. Because the truth of the matter is, a lot of Christians are rather weird people. And they do crazy things. And they scare us sometimes. Sometimes Christians scare me to death. But anyhow. And I'm not asking you to consider me because I'm a mere man and I make a million mistakes a day, maybe even a little bit more than that. I will disappoint you, I promise you, if you were to consider me, I would disappoint you. So I'm not asking you to consider me. But all I am asking you to do is to consider Jesus. Just consider Jesus. Consider what he claimed. Considered what, consider what other people said that he did. And consider what he actually did do. Consider him and see what happens. I'm asking you to please consider Jesus, and I'm going to do three very quick, three different areas that we would consider, three different aspects of his life that we would consider. Step number one, consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Just consider this tonight, today. <coughs> consider consider who, uh, who he came for and how he treated them when he did come. Essentially, uh, I want you to look at um, 
Mark's gospel with me here just for these next couple of moments because this is talking about the beginning time of Jesus and, and what he began to do. So go with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 16, and it says these words. And we're considering Jesus. I love this story. I love where we're going right now. It says in, in Mark 2, 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he, why does Jesus, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, what they're saying is this, someone who's religious, I mean somebody who's really religious shouldn't be even eating or hanging out with people like that is what they're saying. Go with me to verse 17, the next verse. On hearing this, Jesus, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not, it's not the healthy who, uh, who need, it's not only the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, this is good news. Jesus came to reach, to help, and to love people who are sinners. And if you're wondering right now who is a sinner in this place, every one of us in this room. No, every one of us on the planet. No, every one of us from every generation. We are sinners. And Jesus came <coughs> for those of us who are sinners. I love this so much. Jesus didn't come for those who have it all together. Jesus came for people like me who needed help, who needed grace, who needed mercy. Actually, Jesus came for those that religion rejected, that religion rejected. When the religious people, there's a difference between religious people and those who are not religious. The religious people, they would say, they're not good enough for us. The religious people would say, we're too good for them. The religious people would say, they are not clean enough. The religious people say that they are not righteous enough. They are not holy enough. And guess what? That's exactly who Jesus came for. Every one of those people. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. Would you do that? He's a good God. Jesus always loved those that everyone else would despise. We, uh, he, he welcomed those who would be turned away. Jesus came for the broken and the lost, the outcast and the marginalized. Jesus came for the sinner. Jesus didn't come for those who were perfect. He came for those who were sinners. And not only did Jesus come for the sinners, but when you look at it, the ministry of Jesus, we're talking about the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus um, uh, would blow your mind if you were really to dig into the Bible and to see what took place. So let me just say this much to you. In case you don't know, in case you don't know what Jesus would do, Jesus, by the power of God, by the power of God, Jesus would cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He would cause the mute to be able to speak. A couple of times in the Bible, Jesus would take a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he would, he would begin to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people with just that little bit of bread. In fact, the Bible is so specific on it, it said that at the conclusion of the feeding, there were still 12 baskets, 12 baskets that would be full of food. Jesus raised dead people back to life. In Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, a funeral, funeral procession is taking place. A woman is walking behind the casket of her only son who has just died. This is so dramatic. This is just so dramatic. It's very dramatic for me personally because of my past, because of what's taken place. The woman was a widow. And when Jesus saw this woman weeping, the Bible says, the, the Bible says, our God, 
Jesus, our God, was moved with compassion. He could see the brokenness of this mother. He could see what was taken. He was moved with compassion, the Bible said. And Jesus said to her, don't cry. Don't cry. And then he turns to the young man and he says to the young man, he says, I say to you, young man, get up. And according to verse 15 of Luke chapter 7, he sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus gave the mother back her son. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry. What is so funny to me about the miracles that Jesus would perform, his detractors did not, did not debate the validity of his miracles. They just wanted them to stop. They would ask him, by what power are you doing this? You see, his detractors, they saw the miracles with their own eyes. They knew that this was for real. These were real miracles that were taking place. And they would say to him, by what power are you doing this? And Jesus' response would be as simple as, by the power of the living God of heaven. So I'm asking, I'm asking you to consider, would you just consider the ministry of Jesus? Would you consider the ministry of Jesus? Uh, uh, where over these past 2,000 years, and literally for thousands and maybe even millions of people have, uh, have decided to put their faith and their trust in Jesus, who would all tell you if they could come to this pulpit and share their story, they would say to you, this is who I was, and this is who I now am. I was a mess, but I've been transformed. I was addicted, and now I've been set free. I was filled with hate and rage, and now my heart is overflowing with God's love and grace. I'm asking you, please, to consider the ministry of Jesus, to consider it, because he can change your life. I want to do a video right here of one of the men of our church, Don Connors. I think this is incredible. Listen to this story. My name is Dan Connors. Uh, I live here in Baldwinsville. I've got a beautiful wife, Veronica, and two awesome kids. I'm privileged, honored to uh, be coming to you today uh, to talk to you about God and uh, what God has done for me in my life. I grew up in a household that was full of chaos. Uh, my parents were divorced. My dad, unfortunately, he was back and forth in our family like probably three, three different times. Um, so the separation probably took a total of 15 years. And in that 15 years, my mom attempted suicide. Uh, a double attempt where she cut her wrists and took pills. And I remember praying a prayer. Uh, at night, I'd hear my parents fighting, and I thought, oh, it would break my heart. Stuff that you didn't want to hear as a child. And I can still, you know, think about it and hear it. But um, I said, Lord, please let there be healing. Uh, Father, give me a family that's, that's beautiful. 45 years, and that was my prayer throughout middle school, high school. And God finally answered my prayer, you know, but it took, you know, some 30 years later, and I met my wife. I asked God um, to let our family be a light. Help us, Lord to be a, a light in the darkness, you know, shine through us, Father. If there is a need, I pray to have eyes to see. And I heard my friend Kevin saying, I need some help. And so uh, a great guy, a great family, and we saw them struggling. 
So we invited them down to Myrtle Beach with us and just been reaching out to them and their family. Awesome family. But unfortunately, Kevin had uh, a drinking problem. And I get this text from my buddy saying, uh, Dan, I, I, can't, I can't take it anymore. I, I'm going to stop. And I, I can't take this anymore. I'm done with, I'm done drinking. And so I sent back two thumbs up. Awesome. Awesome. Glad you're done. And uh, the text went to me, his wife, and his therapist. And so then he texts me back in a, like a minute later, and he said, uh, you don't understand. I'm done. And I said, what? And then his wife texts me saying, are you seeing this? Kevin's saying, Kevin is talking about suicide. Where are you? And by the time I got Amy's um, text, I said, I'm en route to your house. So I go in there, and in front of him, he's got a bottle of vodka that was half full, and all these pills in front of him. And I said, without even thinking, I just said, Kev, let's go. Come on. So I grab him, and I, I drag him out of the house, and I, I throw him in our car. Fast forward a year later, Kevin went to Tully Hill. Kevin's alive to talk about it. Kevin's been sober now for eight months. Um, Kevin's doing tremendously well. Today, my message to you that um, there is hope. And just like the cross that was once a sign of death and destruction and torture has become actually a sign of hope, you know, hope and resurrection. If there's anybody at Word of Life, if you're thinking of suicide, just know that you're loved beyond measure. We have a loving Father, greater than any love that I ever knew before. And I'm, I'm here to talk to you to say that there is hope, not in my story, but in who helped me with my story, and that's God. God is there for you. And I guess like any good father, I think of my children, I love them unconditionally, no matter what. And that same no matter what feeling is what God has for you. I guess if there's anything encouraging that I, <laughs> more encouraging I can say to uh, Word of Life, to you on a Sunday is uh, don't give up hope that this is what it's about, that Jesus has risen, that he died for your sins. Put your hope and your faith in Christ. Hope placed in the right thing is a beautiful thing. When we place our hope in the wrong thing, our dreams can get broken. I placed my hope in my dad coming back into our family. And when that didn't happen, I, I broke. And what I've come to believe is the sign of once was uh, death and persecution has now become hope and resurrection. Come on, everybody, let's give him a round of applause. Great job, Dan. We love you, bud. He's one of our firefighters out of Syracuse, and he's, he's a great guy, just a great guy. You are different because of the perfect work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. 
Consider the ministry of Jesus, number two. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. So how are we to be made right with God? Go with me to uh, Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three, verse 22, and it says these words. Listen to this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Notice it doesn't say these words. It doesn't say that we're made right by God by being good. It doesn't say we're made right by God by going to church. It doesn't say those words. No, we are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That is true for everyone, for everyone who believes, everyone. No matter what you've done, no matter, uh, no matter who you are, this is true for you. Don't miss this. This is true for you. This is true for everyone, for everyone who believes in Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how bad your life is messed up right now. It doesn't matter how many, how many people that you have hurt and lied to and deceived, who have you, you have used and abused. It doesn't matter how many things or how many times you have sinned and done the same sin over and over and over again. You are made right by God not by being good, but you are made right by God because of what Jesus has done. He was the perfect sinless sacrifice and Jesus took the penalty of our sin upon himself and paid the price for your sins and for my sins. Come on, one more time, a round of applause for God. He is a good, good father, a good God. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Don't miss this. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Let me explain it to you. Jesus did not come to start religion. Jesus came to give us eternal life. Jesus did not come to start religion. Jesus came to show us the love of God. Religion is all about how you perform. Relationship is all about how God, how Jesus performed. Religion says that if you work hard enough, maybe, just maybe, God will love you. Relationship says, all, uh, because, uh, because God loves me and accepts me as I am and causes me to want to obey him, it causes you and I to want to follow after him. Religion is all about what you do. Relationship tells you that Jesus has already done it all for you. <coughs> Excuse me. Religion is all about what you do, but relationship tells you that Jesus <clears throat> paid the full price for your sin through his life, through his death, through his resurrection and ascension to heaven. Jesus paid it all. <clears throat> and here, uh, here is, this is where I stand. I want you to listen to this. If there's a God who claims that he is the son of God and says that he is the only way to the Father, and then... And then he predicts his death on the cross and predicts his resurrection that will happen three days later and he dies and he rises from the dead. I'm going with that God. I'm going with that God. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I'm going with that God. And I'm going to take a drink of water. <clears throat> I'm going with that God. I'm going with that God because... <clears throat> Because that guy, Jesus, he came for a sinner just like me. I'm going with that guy because I was that sinner who was lost and was troubled. That guy showed me, showed me what God is like. And because of that, he did for me, he did for me, uh, and my, what he did for me, my only response that I can give him at this time is this. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, take my whole life. I want you to take control. I want you to have your way with me. 
Consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the message of Jesus. And my last and final point is this. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Go with me to Luke chapter 23. This is very powerful, very moving for me personally. Luke 23 verse 34. And it says these words. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus would predict, he would predict that he was going to go to the death of the cross and he was going to resurrect on the third day. Peter in verse 22 of that same chapter, we're not looking at that, we don't have those displayed. But in Matthew 16, 22, Jesus takes, uh, Peter takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him and says that there's no way, this is not going to happen. Peter does that with Jesus. And then a little bit later, Jesus tells those disciples in the upper room, he says these words, he says, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. Most everybody in this room knows who the the betrayer was, and it was Judas Iscariot. It would be Judas who would do that. And then when Jesus said, I will be betrayed, he then went on to say, and then I'm going to be arrested. And when I'm arrested, all of you are going to desert me. He's talking to his disciples, his, his now 11 disciples, And he's telling them, all of you are going to desert me. And of course, they became angry with what Jesus said. And they would say things like this, never, Lord, never. We would never do that to you. We're with you to the very end. And Peter, of course, he was most vehement. He would be the one that was a little bit more intense, a little bit more passionate. I believe he took Jesus off to the side and he would take him over to the side where the other guys can't hear him. And he would say something like this. He would say, Jesus, just so you know, these other guys, these other guys, you know, they're, they're a bit shaky every now and then. I don't think they're as committed as I am. So Jesus, I just want to let you know, they probably will run, but I'm not. I will never run. I will always be with you. I will always, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew 26, verse 23, Peter declared, he says, even if if everyone else deserts you, I'll never desert you. And Jesus replied in verse 34, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even knew me. Never, Jesus. I would never do that. I would never deny you. I want you to be 100% honest with me. Have you ever promised God that you will never do that again and you did it again? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Come on, come on, everybody's gotta raise their hand. You promised you would never do that again and you did it again. That's like the death rate. 100% of us, 100% of us have done that. The resurrection of Jesus meant more to Peter along the lines of another chance. The resurrection of Jesus meant more to Peter along the lines of another chance, more than all the other disciples put together. In Luke chapter 22, the Bible tells us that Jesus is arrested. They led him to the high priest's home. And and, uh, Peter would follow them at a distance. It's not a very big courtyard where all of this is taking place. It's at this home. And a young small girl, a young small girl notices Peter. And she says, this man was one of his followers. And Peter responded and he said, girl, I don't even know this man. I don't even know who he is. And that was denial number one. Then a few minutes later, someone else would say, you must be one of them. You must be with him. And he responded to this man. And he said, no, I am not. No, I am not. The second denial. And we find here in that second denial, 
we find here in Luke chapter 22, verse 60. Peter said, man, I, am, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, immediately, he was still speaking. And the rooster crowed. And when the rooster crowed, here's what the scriptures declare. The Lord turned and looked to Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had said to him. Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And that last verse, 62. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I don't think it was guilt. Probably some guilt, some shame. You know what I think? I think it was the eyes of Jesus. When Peter says, I swear to you, I'll never leave you, I'll never. And he did. It was the eyes. It was the look that Jesus gave him that broke him to the core. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, Peter did deny Jesus three different times. How could Peter do that? I mean, come on, how could Peter do that? Talk about throwing someone under the bus. That's the epitome of neglect and disrespect. But listen to me, listen to me. I'm saying this with passion because it's you, it's me. It's what we've done with God ourselves. Multiple times, I'm sure. Jesus did not look at Peter the way humans would be looking at Peter right now. Jesus looked at Peter with perfect love and compassion. Jesus looked at Peter and he saw the weakness that he had. But yet Jesus still loved him. Jesus knew that Peter had abandoned and denied that he even knew who Christ was. Jesus looked at Peter with love and compassion. Listen to this. In Mark's gospel, on that resurrection morning, a couple of the disciples, a couple of women went to the tomb to to work on the body of Jesus. And as they got there, there was an angel that was there. And the angel said these words. The angel said, he is risen. He's not here. And listen to this. The angel then says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there he will see me and I will see him. Do you get it? Jesus through the angel. He let Peter know that Jesus was, was waiting to see him in Galilee. No matter the sin, no matter the sin that any of us could, would, would, would do, no matter what we would say, it goes through all generations. No matter what we would do, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the sinless sacrifice for sin that he has paid because of God's reckless love for Peter, for you, for me and this world, your sins are completely forgiven. My sins are completely forgiven. If you would believe, if you would believe, And if you feel weak right now, and all of a sudden you've got all of these thoughts coming through your head, you're feeling defeated, Pastor, you don't know me. You don't know my sin. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've been involved with. You don't know about my addictions. You don't know about my cheating over and over and over again. 
my friend, if that's you, if you have any of that in your life right now, you are exactly who Jesus is looking for. You are the perfect fit for the kingdom of God. Because what God always does, he takes people like you and he takes people like me and he begins to transform our lives and all of a sudden something good is taking place where you can be a Dan Connors and begin to share a story of this is how I was, this is how life was, and now this is what God has done for me. This is what God specializes in because he loves you, because he loves you. And on top of that, he loves you. If you're hearing anything different than that, especially at this moment, it's a lie coming right from the pits of hell. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you. He loves you. But, but, don't you dare try to give God a but. Don't give him your but. Give him your but, but don't you give him a but. <laughs> because it's a done deal. Listen, God only uses broken people. He only uses weak people. He only uses humble people because none of us, none of us have the strength or the, or the power to overcome our sinful ways. Jesus is the only one who can make us strong. Jesus is the only one who can make us right with God. That same Peter who denied Christ, who did what he did, preached the first message on, on the history of the church of Jesus and about the power of, of Jesus overcoming sin and shame. And on that day in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached, more than 3,000 people, 3,000 people just made the decision to consider Jesus. I'm going to consider Jesus. Romans 3.22, I read it a moment ago, and it says that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, conquered sin, death, and the grave. The very same promise is given to us who would believe. That's what I'm asking. If you never come back to Word of Life, Assembly of God Church again, that's okay. It really, I want you to come back, but it's, it's, that's what you want to do. That's what you do. I'm not asking you to consider anything but Jesus today. Don't consider me. Don't consider this church. Consider Jesus. That very same promise is to you and I. And we will be able to conquer sin, death, and the grave. But you must have your faith in Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you would please stand to your feet, every one of you in this wonderful room. <clears throat> the question is, what does it take to get right with God? Well, consider who Jesus is. Consider what Jesus did when he gave his life for you and for me. That's it. It's believing that. Then by faith, I believe that you and I need to say to Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. Would you bow your heads, please? Close your eyes. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I will never embarrass you. I promise you that. I hate being embarrassed. I would never do that to anybody. But if you're here today and something is stirring on the inside of you, it's not God wanting you to come to this church. It's not that at all. What's stirring inside of you is that God wants you to come to him. God wants you to believe in Jesus. He came into this world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life and died on a cross, rose again. And if we believe it, that's all re that's required, that we would believe it, we'll be forgiven. Our names will be written in heaven. I promise you, once you believe it, that you're going to want to take steps to make changes in your life. God will help you with that. God will love you through all of that. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you in just a moment, if you want to 
Ask Jesus to become the leader of your life. I want to make a move toward you, God. I want to begin to believe like never before. If that would be you, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three. I want to do that because I want everybody at the same time to raise their hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. You don't have to come forward. I don't have to do any of that. But today, if you're here and you're considering Jesus and you want to make a decision, I want to make a move toward God, I'm going to ask you right now when I count to three that you'll just hold your hand, one hand up in the air, and I'm going to acknowledge you. One, two, three. Come on, hold up that hand all across here. Please hold them up real high. Hold them up high. Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of these hands today. I thank you for those who are making a decision toward Christ. And I pray, I pray, God, that you would just meet every one of these needs. I pray that, God, you would invade every heart with your love, with your grace. That, Lord, they would know you in relationship. Not know you religiously, but they would know you in a relationship. And that, God, forever their life be changed. Say this prayer with me if it's your desire. It's a simple prayer. Say it aloud. Say it with mumbling lips. Say it quietly if you'd like, however you want to say it. But say it like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I need a Savior. Would you come into my life? Would you change me forever? I believe you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause. A great, great response. Thank you.